Well, good morning. Good morning, brother. We will be uh, looking into First Samuel, chapter twenty-eight, uh, and as we turn there, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you that we are able to come together and that we have access to uh, your word and your gospel and your instruction for our lives. And we ask you to clear our minds and soften our hearts that we would be willing to hear, uh, willing to be corrected, uh, willing to learn what you have to say to us and that it would impact our lives in a positive way and we would remember what we hear and that it would draw us closer to you and help us to become more like you. We ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, First Samuel chapter 28. Um, the bulk of uh, our study this morning will be in chapter 28, but we're also going to cover uh, chapter 31 and uh, chapter 10 of First Chronicles. We've got a lot of scripture to go over, so we're just going to go ahead and dive in to verse 1 of chapter 28, which says, At that time, the Philistines brought their military units together into one army to fight against Israel. So Achish said to David, You know, of course, that you and your men must march out in the army with me. Um, setting the stage for this chapter, um, the first verse opens up with at that time. Um, so we can remember in uh, chapter 26, uh, David, for the second time, has just spared Saul's uh, life when he had the opportunity to uh, kill him. But he would not raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. Uh, and in chapter 27, although Saul had just acknowledged uh, that David uh, would do great things and that um, he said, uh, you are blessed, my son, David. You will certainly do great things and will also prevail. David still, at the beginning of chapter 27, uh, says, one of these days I'll be swept away by Saul. And so David flees to the, to the land of Ziklag. Um, Achish was, uh, has already interacted with David back in, in chapter 21. Uh, David acted insane. Um, because he was afraid of Achish. But now we can see from chapter 27 that David has earned the trust of Achish. And so Achish is addressing David now and says, You know, of course, that you and your men must march out in the army with me. This creates a great tension for David uh, because Achish was marching out against David's own people, uh, Saul's army. Uh, but David replies to Achish, good, you will find out what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, very well, I will appoint you as my permanent bodyguard. Um, now, it's interesting that uh, David does not say anything specific about his, uh, he makes no promises about um, killing Saul or, or attacking anyone in particular, because it's likely um, that this was a bit of a bluff on David's part. When prior, David had many opportunities to kill Saul 
and he did not take those opportunities. So now he just says, good, you will see, you will find out what your servant can do. So Achish appoints him as his bodyguard. And verse three, by this time, Samuel had died and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his city. And Saul had removed the mediums and the spiritists from the land. And that's an important verse to bear in mind as we, we continue on here, that Saul had recognized and acknowledged the wickedness of mediums and spiritists, those who would claim to or attempt to communicate with the dead, that Saul had removed them from the land. Uh, verse four. The Philistines came together and camped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel and they camped at Gilboa. Now, Gilboa was um, a vantage point where Saul could clearly see the Philistine army. Um, and he does. And it doesn't really do him much good. In verse five, it says, when Saul saw the Philistine camp, he was afraid and trembled violently. Uh, again, we see Saul's courage continue to diminish and to fail him as the spirit of God has left him. Uh, in verse six, uh, it says he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him in dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. Verse seven, Saul then said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium so I can go and consult her. Now, remember, just a few verses ago, we saw that Saul had cleared the mediums out of the land, acknowledging their wickedness. And now his response to God's silence is to find a medium to go and consult. And his servants reply, there is a woman at Endor who is a medium. Now, Endor was a dangerous journey for Saul from Gilboa. It was beyond the uh, Philistine camp, uh, six miles from Gilboa. Uh, so Saul, uh, in verse 8, disguised himself by putting on different clothes and set out with two of his men. Now, the, uh, Saul traveling in a small party with just two of his men uh, and being in different clothes served several purposes. One is that this was a much less official appearance as he had to travel so close to the enemy camp. But also, if Saul had just put out the mediums and the spiritists, odds are he didn't really want to approach one as King Saul, uh, because they would know better than to uh, be in his presence as a medium, because he had put them out of the land. Um, but they are disguised, and they come to the woman at night, continuing in verse 8. Uh, and Saul says, consult a spirit for me. Bring up for me the one I tell you. But the woman said to him, surely, you know what Saul has done, how he has killed the mediums and spiritists in the land. Why are you setting a trap for me to get killed? Then Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you because of this. So now Saul makes an oath. By the very God that condemns the practice uh, he is now seeking. Verse 11. She says, who is it 
that you want me to bring up for you. Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. And then she asked Saul, why did you deceive me? You were Saul. But the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? I see a spirit form or many translations say uh, I see a God or I see gods coming up out of the earth. 14. Then Saul asked her, what does he look like? An old man is coming up, she replied. He's wearing a robe. Then Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up, Samuel asked Saul. I'm in serious trouble, replied Saul. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has turned away from me. He doesn't answer me anymore, either through the prophets or in dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what I should do. Samuel answered, since the Lord has turned away from you and has become your enemy, why are you asking me? The Lord has done exactly what he said through me. The Lord has torn the kingship out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. You did not obey the Lord and did not carry out his burning anger against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this to you today. Earlier, Saul had spared uh, the king uh, of Amalek, Agag, and uh, when, when God had told them to completely destroy the land, completely wipe out the land, Saul instead spared the king and spared the best things of the land early, rather than carrying out the Lord's burning anger, as he had been told. Uh, in verse 19, the Lord will also hand Israel over to the Philistines along with you. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me, and the Lord will hand Israel's army over to the Philistines. Now, this encounter here, we're going to read through it again um, and look a little more closely. Uh, this is the, the the core of this chapter. And there are many different theories about what it was that had happened here. There are theories that say that the witch was the witch or the medium was a fraud or that she had been hallucinating um, on drugs uh, there's also a theory that this wasn't in fact Samuel, but it was a, a demon or a spirit impersonating Samuel, uh, perhaps deceiving both uh, Saul and the, the medium, or that God actually allowed or summoned Samuel to return. Now, it seems to me uh, now, to preface this, I'm sure there are several different opinions here. So, foremost, I think it's important to notice that I do not think it is explicit what happened here. Because there are compelling arguments um, for several different possibilities. Uh, I am of the persuasion that this was, in fact, this, the, 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 the spirit of Samuel coming back up. But I want to give a little evidence, perhaps for 
um, each perspective here as we read that passage again, verses 9 through 19. Um, uh, towards the end, we will see what I think is the point. Because when Scripture is not perfectly explicit on something, we can know that there there is a point there to be made and that we should not get caught up on the less significant details. But let's read through that again, and let's more closely consider a few things, starting in verse 9. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has killed the mediums and spiritists in the land. Why are you setting a trap for me to get me killed? It seems that she genuinely believes in her craft. Um, It would have been easier to just say, not a medium, you know, Sorry, you got the wrong person. Uh, But it seems that she believes what she does to be authentic. Perhaps um, perhaps she was just being theatrical here um, and opening her sales pitch by um, being cautious. Uh, Verse 10. Then Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you because of this. Who is it that you want me to bring up for you? The woman asked. Bring up Samuel for me, he answered. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed. Now, right there, most of the uh, studies that I found assume or, or state as a fact that she screamed at Samuel's appearance. That may be the case, but... The second half of that verse says, and then she asked Saul, why did you deceive me? You are Saul. Now, for some reason, at that moment, she recognizes Saul. Um, some, some have said when she saw Samuel, she realized that it was Saul. Possibly, although Saul had already said, bring up Samuel for me. It could be that when she really saw Samuel, not expecting to see him, she recognized that this was Saul, but I think it's also a possibility that she screamed because she recognized Saul, the one who had just killed all the mediums and spiritists in the land. But it says, when the woman saw Samuel, she screamed and asked Saul, why did you deceive me? You are Saul. But the king said to her, do not be afraid. What do you see? She says, I see a spirit form or, or God or God's coming up out of the earth. And Saul asked her, what does he look like? An old man is coming up, she replied. He's wearing a robe. Then Saul knew that it was Samuel. Now, some versions say Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And I think perceived might be um, a little more true to the original language here. When we see that Saul knew that it was Samuel, that almost feels like case closed, uh, that it was absolutely Samuel. But it really was that Saul perceived that it was Samuel. Now, perception is often the foundation of, of divination's deceit. That those who are bereaved or so desperately longing to see something are much more likely to believe that it happened. So it's possible that with the broad description of an old man wearing a robe, Saul perceived or believed that it was Samuel, and he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. Why have you disturbed me? 
or disquieted me by bringing me up, Samuel asked Saul. That's also an interesting uh, phrase for Samuel to use. If God had summoned Samuel up, it, it seems perhaps out of place that Samuel would ask why he had been disturbed. But Saul answers, I'm in serious trouble. The Philistines are fighting against me. And God has turned away from me. He doesn't answer me anymore, either through the prophets or in dreams. So I've called on you to tell me what to do. Uh, I've heard, again, several commentaries noted that um, heaven, as it were, was closed. And so Saul turns to hell for his for his guidance here. This seems a strange uh, illogical thing to do. And Samuel agrees or, or this this spirit form agrees and says, since the Lord has turned away from you and has become your enemy, why are you asking me? If the Lord is not speaking to Saul through dreams, through the Urim, through prophets, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you would then go to something that God has condemned, that you have even acknowledged as sinful to remove from the land to find his guidance. But. Saul uh, or Samuel continues after saying that um, with saying that the Lord has done exactly what he said through me. The Lord has torn the kingship out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. You did not obey the Lord and did not carry out his burning anger against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will also hand Israel over to the Philistines along with you. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me, and the Lord will hand Israel's army over to the Philistines. Now the reason I believe that this was the spirit of Samuel, which again, I I don't think that is the point. I don't think that changes what we learn from this passage. Uh, So we'll circle back to that in a moment. I believe that this was the spirit of Samuel, first of all, because the message that he brings was an affirmation of truth. It it was, in fact, correct. It was an affirmation of what had already been uh, told to Saul about the kingship being removed from him. And throughout the, the, the scripture here, it plainly and confidently refers to the spirit as Samuel. It says when the woman saw Samuel. It doesn't say when the woman saw the spirit form. It says when the woman saw Samuel. It says Saul said to Samuel. It, it, it plainly refers to him as Samuel. And I think if we were to suspect the witch of fraud or suspect demonic impersonation, that the author would have said something more along the lines of the spirit um, uh, or the God. But it seems to me that it it refers plainly to Samuel. And so after this encounter in verse 20, immediately Saul fell flat on the ground. He was terrified by Samuel's words and was also weak because he hadn't had any food all day and all night. The woman came over to Saul. She saw that he was terrified and said to him, Look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life into my hands and did what you told me to do. Now, please listen to your servant. Let me set some food in front of you. 
eat it, and it will give you strength so you can go on your way. He refused, saying, I won't eat. But his servants and the woman urged him. He listened to them. He got up off the ground and sat on the bed. The woman had a fattened calf at her house, and she quickly slaughtered it. She also took flour, kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread. She served it to Saul and his servants, and they ate. Afterward, they got up and left that night. It's interesting that Saul believed this encounter with Samuel and believed what Samuel told him and seems to just make this six-mile journey back to begin the battle, uh, perhaps resigned to his fate. Um, I, I thought of the story of Jonah where the Lord told Jonah to go and speak and yet Jonah runs away. It's interesting to me that the Lord lets Saul know that he's going to be killed and Saul goes ahead, goes back and fights the battle. Doesn't, I, I would probably run away. I would probably get on a boat and head the other direction. Um, so it's interesting that Saul seems to be resigned uh, to this fate. Uh, perhaps uh, to his credit that he acknowledges God's judgment and continues on to return and fight the battle. Now, before we look into 1 Samuel 31 and 1 Chronicles 10, the three things I want to look at from chapter 28 is first the question of why did heaven fall silent? I don't like the idea of God ignoring or God uh, being quiet um, because we, we also understand the concept that God is always willing and wanting for his children to return to him. He wants, uh, you know, it's his will that none should perish and he wants all to come to him. But why does it seem that he was ignoring Saul and not answering him? I think a distinction to make is that while God is beckoning and hoping that we would come to him, he's not a puppy in the sense that he is not following us around, waiting for us, begging for us to turn our attention to him, but rather that we are the dogs, right? And we are the ones that have run away and ignored God and that he is calling us back to return to him. But the more we ignore God and the less... Uh, obedience we display the less we care about god the more he's going to turn us over to the way we have chosen i think the key verse here is verse 16 where samuel answers him and says since the lord has turned away from you and become your enemy why are you asking me well, first of all um earlier in the chapter verse Six, he says he inquired of the Lord. Saul inquired of the Lord. But in verse uh, in this passage here where he turns to the medium, we can see the lack of authenticity. Of when he inquired of the Lord, because he very quickly then turns to divination and spirits. Now, I wonder if if Saul had sought the Lord in in genuine repentance and really come after the Lord, uh, what sort of outcome there might have been, what sort of answer there could have been from the Lord. Um, 
what sort of victory there might have been, but he didn't because he was very quickly ready to go to plan B and and seek out this uh, divination. And we see that the Lord hands him over to the Philistines because he did not obey the Lord. Um, Now, in 1 Samuel 31, you could turn a few pages over. 1 Chronicles chapter 10 and 1 Samuel 31 are extremely similar. There are only minor uh, additions in 1 Chronicles 10. So we're going to just read 1 Samuel 31. And I've noted the things that are included in 1 Chronicles 10 so that we can add them to what we see in 1 Samuel 31. So starting with verse 1. Um, and reflecting back on the death of Saul and his sons. Um, In verse 1 it says, The Philistines fought against Israel, and Israel's men fled from them. Many were killed on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. When the battle intensified against Saul, the archers caught up with him and severely wounded him. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and run me through with it, or these uncircumcised men will come and run me through and torture me. But his armor bearer would not do it because he was terrified. Then Saul took his sword and fell on it. When his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his own sword and died with him. So on that day, Saul died together with his three sons, his armor bearer and all his men. Uh, In Chronicles, it is specifically added or rephrased that his whole house died together in reference to the kingship being removed from him. He died and his heirs died. Verse 7, when the men of Israel on the other side of the valley and on the other side of the Jordan saw that Israel's men had run away and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned the cities and fled. So the Philistines came and settled in Uh, And settled in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons dead on Mount Gilboa. They cut off Saul's head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to spread the good news in the temples of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtaroths and hung his body on the wall of Bethshan. In Chronicles, they add on that. His head or his skull was hung in the temple of Dagon, uh, because in First Samuel we see that they cut off his head and hung his body on the wall at Bethshan. But now we know the whereabouts of the head. It was in the temple of Dagon. Verse 11, when the residents of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their brave men set out, journeyed all night and retrieved the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. They arrived at Jabesh and burned the bodies there. Afterward, they took the bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. This is where 1 Samuel 31 ends. And 1 Chronicles 10 adds on that Saul died for his unfaithfulness to the Lord because he did not keep the Lord's word. He even consulted a medium for guidance, but he did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Now, the thing that stands out there towards the end of First Chronicles, is it says he did not inquire of the Lord. But in verse 
6 of 1 Samuel 28, it says, he inquired of the Lord. Well, two things come to mind for me here. Um, First is, is what we talked about before, where God is not a puppy. And if we ignore God and we rebel against God and we disobey God, and only as a last resort in times of most desperate need, we go ahead and check with God, this hardly seems like an action that would deem one worthy of being described as someone who inquires of God. And then I also thought about the word inquire and how that also implies uh, some authenticity. And the first thing that came to mind, husbands, is when your wife inquires of your opinion, perhaps of where to eat or between two things, um, but she already knows the answer, right? So while you were inquired of, you're generally tasked with figuring out what the answer is, right? So it's not so much that simply asking is proof of genuine inquiry, but rather um, inquiring just means uh, in the root, the, the simplest description of the word, just to ask, right? And so when it says he did not inquire of the Lord, I think it means that there was no genuine inquiry of God. Now, Saul was not handed over to the Philistines because of his visit to the medium. If we look at first uh, at the end of Chronicles 10, it gives reasons for Saul's death. And I think we can break it down into four reasons. Um, the first one says his unfaithfulness to the Lord. Two, it says he did not keep the Lord's word. Three, I think, is almost parenthetical where it says he even consulted a medium. And four, he did not inquire of the Lord. So I think we see Saul as an example of how to lose our connection to God and the comfort and peace that God gives us by disobeying God and by ignoring him. We also see an example of what I would call useless spiritual jargon where Saul uh, swears by the Lord that he was offending in the very act that the medium would not be harmed. And how often we see examples of, of spiritual terms or the name of God being thrown around even in a situation that directly offends him. Uh, Saul is also a warning of the consequences of disobedience and rebellion, that God will, in fact, hand you over um, to your sin or to your enemies. Now, I think if we walk away with one thing, it is that um, the phrase came to mind, that strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We are not in any situation called to resort to any kind of sinful measure. Now, in the story, we see the example uh, as it relates to communication with God. Saul was not getting the answer from God that, or any answer from God, and so he resorts to a sinful, hellish means of trying to get that communication. But I think in the same way, uh, money, we can just resort to dishonest means 
when we are stressed or anxious, we can resort. Uh, a lot of times drugs and alcohol are the resort when we're not getting the answer that we want. Uh, adultery comes from not finding the intimacy that we want. There are all these sinful alternatives that seem to be the quick fix, the thing that we want to turn to when we're not getting the answer that we want. But that is not what we are called to do. If God is silent, our duty is to check the state of our hearts and to pray without ceasing, right? It says to pray, uh, 1 Thessalonians says to pray without ceasing, right? Not to give up and resort uh, to other means. Now, we can also see that the answer, the answer that Saul got did him no good. Right? It seems that there was some result that came from consulting this medium, um, that there was truth that came from it. But all he was told was a reaffirmation of what he knew, that the kingship would be ripped from him and that he was going to die with his sons the next day. So he rebels against God, seeks the thing that he had already acknowledged as sinful by banishing the mediums and spiritists from the land, and then gets a useless answer that would only add tremendous anxiety to his last day of living. And so... Although we often have times where we feel as though heaven may have fallen silent or that we don't have the relief or any good gift that we feel we're lacking, our duty is to just check the state of our hearts and to continue to seek after God. We should continue to seek after God regardless of the response we feel like we're getting. We should be prompted by the, the truth of Christ's sacrifice, not by warm fuzzies or by God's uh, gifts. We should not be seeking God and responding, responding to him um, only as a trade. And I think there are times that God will help us to mature and help us to grow through his silence. Increasing uh, in the hopes that we would increase in our faith and continue to seek after him regardless of whether or not we're getting an answer. But then, of course, we also saw that the reason Saul was no longer getting an answer was because of his continuous rebellion, because of how much God had revealed to him that he had ignored and chose to do his own, seek his own glory and do things his way. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer and um, Ask the Lord to put this into our hearts. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for not changing. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from you and that there is no shadow of change in you. But we are prone so much to change and being fickle. So we ask that you would guide us to be consistent based on truth, not on feelings. That we would be obedient, 
we would hear and understand your will and that we would obey it so that we could continue to experience the joy of knowing you and that if the times come where we feel as though we've been left out, that we would just take that as motivation to just continue to seek you. Guard us from the temptation to seek means of the world for relief and satisfaction and call us continually to, to pray without ceasing, to seek you endlessly, that we would be unwavering in that. And we ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.